Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Another listener question episode. Trying to get caught up here because excellent questions. Keep them coming, and I try to address them. And if they're somewhat duplicative, and sometimes I think I've already answered this, but maybe not answered it in exactly the same way. So hopefully I can f- provide fresh insights. But thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Rating, Beckett Authentication. So anonymous question about set registries and how that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a good thing for PSA. I'll say that for sure. And I I wish I'd thought of it. When we were starting BGS, we did think of it and they had a big head start. So we did do a registry, but it's hard to be the second person in on something like that. There's a real first mover advantage. So I, I love the concept, but what it's done just to editorialize, it's really increased and inflated the perceived value of a very scarce commons. And I don't have a big problem with that in one sense. I think the premiums are outsized. So I want to editorialize that I think people are paying too much, even though it's very scarce, this common in this condition. I'm not sure the demand would be there, but for that. And if you've got two people wanting it really bad to have the bragging rights that they have the very best set of something, then they want to get these commons in the best condition possible. My thought is, though, that if there is any kind of a market adjustment or market correction, my feeling would be, and I'm not trying to be prophetic or predict this, but if there were to be a market correction, to me, that would be the first thing that would get hit hard. Some of these commons in, uh, in, uh, in fabulous condition but are only going to be of interest to somebody that's a select set collector. And I, I just, I know there's bragging rights for being number one on the set registry. I'm not denying that, but at what cost? So I think if there was an, a, a market adjustment, that would be the, the first thing that would go down, not the superstars and not the cards that are rare in their own right, not just a condition rarity. Just my thought on that. Could be wrong, but wanted to get it out there. Next question was from High Speed Card Chase, commenting on my discussions with Steve Taft. Saw him at the National and always have a good time seeing Steve and great having him on the podcast. But it said, was the XRC decision yours? This is what High Speed Card Chase is saying. Or did one of your employees label it that way? It's pretty easy for me to figure that out because I had no employees at that time. There were no hobby employees, at least. I had some assistants, always, notably from my sister, but probably talked to a few people. But the decision was mine. It was a tough decision. I still stand by it. But I had no employees in those days, talking about it in in the 80s. I had just started. I'd already been doing the books and the magazine was not going strong enough to have much help. I had regional correspondence and things like that, but it really was just my decision. And like I said, I just think there's got to be a way to indicate that you've got a card that's not a full rookie card according to the pedigree that Victor Roman talks about and that I was there. That's why that came about. Let's see. I get emails sometimes, and this was to me, to the podcast, but it's a guy that's on a tirade about bad treatment he thinks he got from BGS and he wants to call the police and he's apparently mad at me. He says, you had no authority to to do this. I'm not going to mention his name, but you've ignored my message. You refused to do this and I, I didn't get the cards back or, and I'm just thinking, I really feel bad for this guy. Apparently something's missing. Something went wrong. 
uh, I am no longer with the company. When I say I like to get emails that are questions that I can use on the pad- podcast, this is not an example of that. I, I am not involved in that. It, it, it is so rare that I would in any way step in for something like this. If something was egregious and it was a you know some kind of a impasse and I knew the person and I, I, would, I would love to try to compromise or work things out or mediate, but uh, I, I'm not your guy. Again, I'm not going to call him by name. But I will say this: there, every car, every grading company, every card company has had situations where they, and generally, just like in this in this email I'm getting from the guy, he, he, there's an assumption about the motives or evil intent, and it, that's not usually the case for people for for businesses that have been in the hobby for a long time that rely on public favor. They're not trying to mess people up. Uh, but this guy has had a problem, and I don't, I, I don't know why he listened to the podcast and thought, well, I'm just going to send an angry message to, to Dr. Beckett. And it's almost like I'm guilty until proven innocent, and I, I, don't, I have no idea what's going on here. Like I said, if, if there were more details here, I'd try to figure out, is there something in the BGS system that I was part of where something slipped through the cracks? I, I want people to have a good experience. Anyway, for whatever co- company it is or grading company, you do not assume that they're out to scam you or have evil intent. Same thing with dealers. You need to be buyer beware, but still, I don't think people are out to mess you up. Another question here from DT. <laughs> he says he listens and enjoys, but he had a couple of questions. And one was, when BGS is grading cards, is there a different process followed when subgrades are requested than when they are not? If so, how does the process differ? If not, why are the subgrades an add-on? He says, is it a money grab? <laughs> it would seem, but I think the, the DT likes subgrades. Okay. And I, I've had conversations with the BGS leadership over the months and over the years, actually. That truly was my original intent, that cards would be graded according to the subgrades, because that's how we came up with our, and it's like a patented system, is it based on these subgrades, this is the final grade. When we were training graders to do, that's how they were trained. Now, I don't know exactly whether they're bypassing that on some of the things they're doing. It was not done that way for BCCG. There's a whole bunch of things going on with that. So I'm not really sure, and I don't know that I can comment completely on that, because that issue, DT, is something that I've brought up, and it's not fully resolved to my satisfaction. It has to do with some of the things that happened last spring with respect to rethinking the grading scale. And I have strong opinions about that, and I'm saving them for my BGS friends and company leadership. And another question from DT was about the old Wheaties cards. I think I dealt with that in another thing, but all of those are hand-cut. If you have a Wheaties card, early 50s Wheaties box, it's the back panel of the box. And he mentions that some of them were not cut out very well. And so is it okay to give the cards a second cutting <laughs> to make them more uniform or more in line with the original intended shape. The question is, what is the original intended shape? Because I've seen rounded corners and I've seen square corners. The intended shape was a box panel. And the, the Wheaties cards from the 30s, there was almost the complete box panel of the back of the Wheaties box. But these were more an array of players that you could cut out. And he says trimming is generally taboo, but is there an exception here? The exception, DT, is that you, you won't have any cards unless they're hand-cut. There, there is no factory cut there. there it's a panel, and uh, a lot of people want to just want with the one card. And so I don't see anything wrong with that. 
So is there a one-time only cutting allowed or a two-time only cutting allowed? If you had the panel and somebody cut them and then you further cut them to make them, uh, I don't know that I've seen 48 Bowman size or something, you, you, but generally there's a thought that there should be some margin around the, the photo, but they're borderless. When you get into this trimming and cutting and things like that, like I said, all of the Wheaties cards are hand cut. My problem is only when there's deception involved, when someone's trying to deceive. If it's your card and it was cut without being a perfect rectangle, that would look strange. And so if you're evening out the angles, you run the risk. Again, if you're getting it graded, it may come back as authentic. Again, every grading company has the prerogative to do it the way they want to do it. So there's no hard and fast rule other than don't be a crook. Don't be doing things and trying to pass it off. And yet those are nice cards and we wouldn't have them if somebody didn't cut them. Okay, question from Linda H. And I don't know if it could be Linda H. Or it could be Linda H.'s son or husband or father. I have found a surprising number of my eBay sales go to women. And I don't know if that's going to the woman because it's a card purchase or a card order. It's styled in the address with a woman to make it not look like it's baseball cards. <laughs> I haven't figured that out. Either that or I've got a lot of customers that are women. A lot more women are collecting now. But anyway, Linda H. had a comment about the sports autographs episode I had with Jimbo Spence of JSA, the son of a Jimmy, my contemporary. And so Linda's done the math as if there's a million Mickey Mantle autographs out there, hand-signed autographs out there, and he signed for a 15-year span, which is about right. He started signing in the very early 80s, 1980-ish, and he passed away, I think, in 95. So if he signed for a 15-year span, that means he had to sign, she says, had to sign 200 autographs every day for 15 years straight. Now, does that sound ridiculous or does that sound reasonable? The way I would put it, I think it's very reasonable that he signed a 1,000 autographs a week. I don't think he sat down every day, and that's not what she's saying. But it's very reasonable that he would have signed a 1,000 autographs a week for 15 years. And it could have been through, he had card company relationships, he had show relationships. And so there's a lot of man autographs out there. That's scary to think that he's passed away. But then if you apply that rule to some of the people, to Pete Rose, I bet Pete Rose is signing a 1,000 a week and has done that for 15 years. So Pete Rose has probably got a million autographs out there. Again, you can't just go by pop reports. You've got to have a sense of history of what's been going on and then use some judgment. On the other hand, who wouldn't want a, a Mickey Mantle autograph? I've got some, and I think it's great. Okay, last one here from Atomic Zombie Android. And said he knows that I love the hobby and want to make it better. But I guess he didn't like the episodes I had with Rick Probstein about grading. And uh, he's concerned that he feels like maybe grading is a who you know kind of thing. He's saying, if I walk up Rick's cards to the Beckett booth, he said, are you expecting them to be impartial? Number one, I'm going to be impartial. I think Rick uh, knew what he was getting in for. I, I do expect them to be impartial, whether I walk it up or Rick, who's one of the biggest uh, dealers uh, in the industry. And so I really believe the, the, the service that I started was built on that of being impartial. And plus, I didn't walk it up. <laughs> Rick took him by himself. Uh, in fact, I just made the introduction and tried to say, this is what Rick is thinking. Is that going to be possible that he could do it before the National or at the National? And it got worked out. 
And I didn't know. Then the next thing I knew, it was a done deal. And then I saw Rick at the National, and I lamented. I was sad for him. But the cards get what they get. And the fact that none of his cards uh, made the grade, that it was all pointed out where they fell short, the blemish or the imperfection. And so, of course, he was disappointed. I was disappointed, too. It's good PR and bad PR, but the cards have to grade for what they are. The good PR for Rick is that he had 31 Jordan rookies. The, the the bad PR for Rick is he, he has detractors, but he, his business, he needs to get attention. And he got probably more good attention that says this guy's handling a lot of good cards. The other thing is he did not contact me for help. I offered to help him, but only in the sense that, hey, I think you, you really could cross these over and give it a try. It's going to cost you. And I made no promises. But he didn't say, hey, can you help me get a good grade? I wouldn't have done that. So he got some attention. It's both good PR and bad PR for BGS because BGS, are they the toughest graders in the industry or are they just too tough to take 31? Rick had done the math. He's a sharp guy and he he was looking at kind of the odds of here's 31 cards. Surely one of them would make it, but it's not a random sample. He was picking out nice ones. Again, every one of them that didn't make it, which is all of them, were all given back to him with condolences and an indication of where the imperfection was that knocked it down from to not be a 10 and certainly not a black label. Although I'm sure some of them were pretty close, but they didn't make it. So that's it for today. And uh, thanks, everybody. Thanks for your good questions. And I'll be back again tomorrow with, or in a couple of days with another episode.